Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, this is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Our Reasonable Voice guest today is Dr. Guy McPherson, Professor Emeritus of Conservation Biology at the University of Arizona. Dr. Guy R. McPherson is an internationally recognized speaker, award-winning scientist, and the world's leading authority on abrupt climate change, leading to near-term human extinction. He is a professor, as I said, emeritus of the University of Arizona, where he taught and conducted research for 20 years. His published works include more than a dozen books and hundreds of scholarly articles. Dr. McPherson has been featured on television and radio and in several documentary films. You can read more about Dr. McPherson and his work at GuyMcPherson.com, and we will remind you of that address before the end of the show. Welcome back, Guy, to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. How are you today? Thank you very much, Marcello. I appreciate the opportunity to chat today. And I'm doing it as well as one can be expected in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a mass extinction, and in the midst of abrupt climate change, all is well. Well, that kind of gives everyone some idea, an inkling, of how our conversation uh, will be focused today. It's always a pleasure. It may be a challenge, but it is always a pleasure when one wants to know the truth to have a conversation with you, Dr. Guy McPherson, and I'm glad you're back. I know you're living now near Orlando, Florida. Perhaps part of our discussion today will cover the differences in the weather between where you're living and the state of Texas and why. But first, I'd like to remind our listeners of my favorite quote of yours, just to get a reaction from you. Quoting, If you think the environment is less important than the economy, try holding your breath while you count your money. Unquote. What do you have to say to that? I love it. I came up with that one, it must be 10 or 12 years ago, and it seemed to me that almost everybody I had ever encountered, when it came right down to it in terms of their actions, if not their words, they were more interested in money than in protecting the living planet uh, upon which we depend for our entire lives, of course. But it's difficult to get that message across when we were all born into a society that so greatly values money. And we are not encouraged to think about the costs, the real costs of printing that money and spending that money and usually not even printing it. It's not even printed on paper anymore. It mm. just exists out there as digits on a screen. And how do we how do we measure success in this culture? We measure it by how much money we have. That, yes. That's really the bottom line. That's That was my understanding from the time I was about 10 years old, mm. that the, the more important people have the money. And that leads to privilege, certain privileges. And so it must be the most important thing. And, you know, it's one of those things that we never talk about 
is just out there under the surface all the time, the more valued people, the more important people are the ones like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and so on, the, the mm. people who have the money, Jeff Bezos, the, the, the people who don't need to concern themselves with privilege because they have an enormous amount as mm. a result, in most cases, of inheriting money or through decisions they didn't make themselves and they just sort of fell into this situation. So it seems to me there's a lot of luck involved in who gets to play the privilege card. And that's reflected in that expression I came up with many years ago. I couldn't agree more. I mean, everything from you're at a party and the first thing anyone asks you is, what do you do? Exactly. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? And, and when I was invited to parties, and maybe these are related, this is, maybe this is why, why I'm not invited to parties anymore. <laughs> when I was invited to parties, somebody would ask me that question. Of course, it's the first question anybody asked. Mm. And I would say, well, I, I milk goats, and <laughs> I take a lot of hikes, and I write here and there. And I and I would purposely avoid the, the answer they were looking for, mm. which is, what do you do for a living? How important are you? Yes. Do I need to spend time with you to enhance my own privilege? Yes. So I would just avoid that question. I've always loved that quote, and it it just gets us focused, and it always makes me think of, and of course now Texas is added to the list, but it makes me think of, in particular, the uh, time, I think it was West Virginia or or some state in that area where coal ash was deliberately spilled in the drinking water and the biggest complaint of the people in the area was not the company that put the cold ash intentionally in their drinking water, showering water, cooking water for their children and families, but that we shouldn't criticize the company because they needed their job. And I I just, and you know, and I, I don't look down on someone who needs an income. I work for a living too. But I just thought how sad it is that we are more concerned about keeping the source of revenue than we are about what's being done to the lives of our children and family with this, this intentional spill. So that's behind my question. All right. It's all connected, but it, it is. It is all connected, yeah. absolutely. And, and that, you know, for a nice metaphor of that connection, think about the sweater, the sweater you've had for years. It's your favorite sweater. Mm. And every now and then there's a loose thread, and so you just pull it out, and you don't think anything of it because it, it, it was unbecoming to have that loose thread sticking out. Well, at some point you pull enough of those threads, and one of them causes the sleeve to fall off. Mm. And, and we're there. You know, we've been pulling those threads in nature for many, many years, and the natural systems of the planet are falling apart as a consequence. Yes. And it's just something we did habitually for more than 200 years. And so, of course, we're having consequences. We're seeing those today. But it's the kinds of things we didn't think about for a long time because we were pulling those minor threads for such a long time with no no consequences. No, and, and, you know, we haven't been pushed to deny our denial. I watch Al Roker on the Today Show and his weather reports in particular, especially lately, and he did a whole 60-second segment, which may not sound like a lot, but sadly it is for this. That Al Roker explained in 60 seconds before giving his weather report how our extremes are caused by climate change and global warming. And I think that's a good sign, but too little, too late, or... First of all, something I wanted to ask you, Guy, because you wrote or said something to me that makes this question. Do you lean toward opposition, just so we know, the listeners, that is, do you lean toward opposition to or resistance to new technologies or technical change? In general, I think I do. I've never been asked that question before, but when I think about what technologies have brought us, it seems to me that two, two things are apparent. One, all technology is a one-way street. Mm. Once the people you interact with had a flip phone and 
and they no longer had to stand next to the phone to talk to somebody, uh -huh. then everybody had a flip phone. And then as soon as the people around me got smartphones, it seemed like the only way to get along in the world was to have a smartphone. And so that's why everybody in the first world, everybody who can afford one has a smartphone, and even a lot of people who can't afford one have a smartphone. And it's the same thing with so many other technologies as well. It's difficult to backtrack on those technologies mm -hmm. once they are available. And it's that those, those technological, quote, improvements that are mining the planet of all the things that really matter and also that take us to the brink of extinction we just we just think we have to have the next big thing mm. and in that desire and in expressing that desire we are destroying the living planet am i glad i asked you that all right all i know about polar express in quotes is Chris Van Osberg's books, which are filled with visions of a choking, trash-covered planet, as seen by a sleeping child who prefers robots to recycling. Now, meanwhile, in the real world, as if that isn't, we still electing leaders, those of us who have that privilege, who continue to struggle between denial of and evidence of an ecological crisis. So, what do we need to know about our meandering jet stream? Well, I'm going to start with a story that almost nobody appreciates. When I was a kid, or in this case, since we're of similar age, when you and I were kids, these, these cold fronts would sweep across North America in less than a week. Hmm. They would dump snow and leave extreme cold in their wake, at least where I grew up in northern Idaho. Hmm. There, the temperatures when I was a kid were often well below zero degrees Fahrenheit. That's, that's minus 20 Celsius on a regular basis. Now that the poles are warming a few times faster than the global average, that disparity in temperature between the Arctic and the equator no longer exists. It's breaking down. The temperature of the Arctic is more similarly resembling that of the equator than it ever has before in human history. As one result, these cold fronts are no longer sweeping rapidly across the continent. Instead, the jet stream is meandering, which pushes cold temperatures further south for longer periods of time. Meanwhile, the meandering jet stream is pulling warm temperatures into places formerly cold during the winter, mm -hmm. like northern Idaho, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. This leads to a lot of confusion. We generally believe that the patterns we grew up with are normal, and altered patterns are abnormal. But the physics behind the new patterns could not be clearer. This new normal is based on an altered global state with respect to the distribution of energy. So it actually is what we need to be aware of. These and other consequences are consistent with the horrors of late-state capitalism in the midst of abrupt climate change. Never mind the potential meltdown of the numerous nuclear power plants in coastal Texas. Mm. People are paying orders of magnitude more for their electricity than they were paying last month. Yes. Texas utility companies could have winterized their grid years ago. Not doing so has led to these consequences and lots of others. So that's how we arrived at this dreaded point in history. Okay. I know what I want to ask you next. I'm trying to decide. Well, if we don't, if you don't finish the answer, no, no worries. We'll continue in the next segment. But I do want to know after that, and that was a very, by the way, clear explanation. Because when I first heard the term meandering jet stream, I thought of you. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll have to ask him. But what's the regional connection between COVID-19 and a global pandemic? But what's the regional connection between it and the loss of aerosol masking? And why isn't it a global connection? That's a great question. And here's, here's what's going on briefly. According to a paper in the December 29th, 2020 issue of the peer-reviewed journal Geophysical Research Letters, temperatures around the world increased as a result of regional reductions in aerosol masking starting with the region in China around Wuhan, where the virus originally broke out, mm. industrial activity was reduced. And as a consequence, 
in that region, in that specific region, the aerosols dropped out of the sky, according to the godfather of climate change, James Hansen. They fall out of the sky within five days. Mm. And as a consequence, regional warming was observed there. Next stop, India. Same thing happened. The coronavirus caused a reduction in industrial activity over the Indian subcontinent. And as a consequence, the aerosols fall, fell out of the sky. Now, nobody's directly measuring the aerosols. So no. proxies have to be used, things like nitrous oxides that are evaluated with satellites. Mm-hmm. So those were those relatively heavy chemicals, elements were falling out of the sky and led to regional increase in temperature over the subcontinent. Rinse and repeat for what came next was a relatively large region of Eurasia. And then finally to the Northeastern United States where industrial activity was reduced. Fortunately for all of us and for all life on earth, these changes occurred region by region, step by step. And so it, they occurred at different times in different regions. Mm. I actually predicted this with a, would occur with my Edge of Extinction video titled Managing COVID-19 and the Aerosol Masking Effect. I released that video March 21st, 2020, mm. shortly after the pandemic broke out. And I indicated that if we were to have this region-by-region reduction in industrial activity leading to region-by-region increase in temperature, then we might actually get through this thing without an abrupt global average rise in temperature. Mm. There was no significant increase in global average temperature as a result of this region-by-region loss in aerosol masking leading to regional increases in temperature. And that's really a good thing because an abrupt global average rise in temperature would almost certainly destroy habitat for humans and many, many other species because among the most important elements of conservation biology and the continued persistence of any species is the abruptness of change. How quickly does something happen? Can we adapt genetically or even as a society? And in this case, the changes were rapid, but they were also relatively small scale with respect to the globe. I have to say, I'm glad to hear that answer. I mean, you, we grab a, a positive thought, you know, wherever we can get it, but that makes so much sense. And the fact that you predicted it, uh, you know, almost a year ago is significant too, but I didn't know what I was going to hear that time. Okay, we're going to take a short break on that high note, <laughs> at least that medium high note. And we're going to be back with our guest, Dr. Guy R. McPherson, in just a moment in our next segment. Please stay with us. There's a lot more to talk about. We'll be right back. And now, from WatchFireMusic.com, vocal artist Jenny Burton, singing Who Will Heal the World?
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. My Reasonable Voice today is Dr. Guy McPherson. I don't think I mentioned before, but he is a repeat guest, and we always welcome him back. He is an internationally recognized speaker, an award-winning scientist, and the world's leading authority on abrupt climate change, leading to near-term, near-term human extinction. Well put. How tactful, Dr. McPherson. Uh, I want to talk about some of your books in this segment, but I also want to ask, is there anything more you wanted to add on that regional? Because that was new to me. I mean, all of that information. We've talked a lot of times. We've talked about a lot of things, mostly, of course, about what's happening to life on Earth. And if you have no more to add, that's fine. But I just wanted to make certain I didn't cut you off for a commercial. Uh, the re- yeah. that yeah. regional aspect. Tell us. Right, the, the regional aspect reminds me of something my dad used to say back in the day, and my dear departed dad he used to say, "Better lucky than good," uh-huh. and that's a classic example. We got lucky with respect to the timing of when the pandemic broke out, and also the regional quote shutdown of or reduction in industrial activity from place to place around the planet. Mm. So. Better lucky than good. I'll take it. Yes. And a little reminder of uh, some things from a layman, <laughs> but you you pick it up <laughs> at any point and save me from myself. But uh, I think what Dr. McPherson is talking about is, you may have heard in the news, that smog, for instance, in California and, and other things, breathing air were suddenly better than they had been in a while. And the reason they were, and I'll let Dr. McPherson finish that sentence. Yeah, at the same time that industrial activity produces greenhouse gases that most of us know about that trap heat in the atmosphere after the planet is heated, at the same time industrial activity does that, industrial activity also produces aerosols, most notably sulfates, and especially associated with burning coal, Mm. and not the clean coal Mm -hmm. that we've heard a little bit about, but the dirty coal. Mm -hmm. The advantage to burning that dirty coal, the advantage to industrial activity being dirty, is that it puts these aerosols up into the upper atmosphere and block incoming sunlight, Mm. acting as something like an umbrella to prevent the planet from warming in the first place. Now, whereas those greenhouse gases have a long-term impact on planetary heating, these aerosols have a very short-term impact. They, They serve as an umbrella to protect the planet only for a few days at most a few weeks and depending upon the timing of when they fall out if it's spring and summer for example when lots of plants are biologically busy then that's a bad time to suddenly heat up the planet Mm. on the other hand we got lucky with the pandemic with COVID-19 when it occurred when it shut down industrial activity and that it shut down industrial activity regionally around the globe all of that contributed to significant decreases in industrial activity that caused these aerosols to fall out of the sky and fortunately we were lucky in the timing and the regional aspect of those aerosols dropping out well, I am glad I let you finish that sentence. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I did that a little bit more than a sentence. Oh, no, 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 no. I wanted that just because I've always said you explain things in a way that I can understand them. <laughs> and so I love that. And it's, it's one of the major reasons that I have you back on the show, because we need to know, but we need to know in a way that we can sit there and go, oh, I get it. Uh, that's the only way we can break through denial. All right. Speaking of denial... How did Texas happen, and what is the lesson from it? Uh, everybody's talking, you know, and, and of course the blame game, uh, but this didn't just happen this year, right? This is... Right. Tell us. Right. This has been building for a long time. Texas utility companies, as I already indicated, could have winterized their grid years ago, but they thought there's no reason. After all, if you're the oil capital of the world, as Texas once was, then you can't even imagine not having access to fossil fuels, power, power plants. Mm. So say you start out with a big pile of gold. You have so much gold that 
every one of your friends that stops by, you just give them a little chunk of gold. You give them a, a few grams of gold, and you think it's nothing. Mm. It's nothing to me, and it's a big deal to my friends, and they might remain my friends if I keep giving them gold. Well, at some point, the gold runs out if you live long enough, and we've been in the midst of the Industrial Revolution since 1750, that's more than 270 years, we've been burning fossil fuels with profound impacts mm. on every aspect of life around us and the physics around us, including what happens in the atmosphere, what happens in the ocean, what happens on land, including the fact that we're in, a, in the midst of a mass extinction event. All of that can be traced to the burning of fossil fuels and the rapid population growth of humans and the associated demands from those humans. So, of course, if you just keep going in this catastrophic direction, you're going to arrive at catastrophe. Here we are, been practicing capitalism for better and for worse, depending upon which end of the capitalistic stick you're on for a very long time. How could it not have these consequences? Of course it could, and, and people have been predicting these outcomes for literally hundreds of years, not with respect to climate, but with respect to capitalism, and for many decades with respect to the climate. So here we are, and people act as if we're surprised, as if you can continually exert policies that are racist and misogynistic, and promote economic disparity and keep that going for an extended period of time? No. No, we know that can't happen, and yet we keep going, we keep grinding away. Is it because it's all we know? Is it because Americans have become wannabe millionaires mm -hmm. because they're, they're, quote, temporarily embarrassed millionaires? You know, there's so many reasons societally, socially, that we got to this point, but the physics remains the same. You cannot burn fossil fuels and not have consequences. You cannot treat the living planet like a cesspool and not have consequences. And those consequences are coming home to roost now. It shouldn't come as a surprise. And yet, if all you've ever known for your entire life is an increasing level of technology, an increasing level of privilege, then you can't even imagine that things could get worse, much less that they could rapidly get worse. Mm. Well, they are. And rapidly is the word, because as I've mentioned a couple of times, you are a, a knowledgeable PhD in abrupt climate change and near-term human extinction. Would you explain to us as, what do you mean by near-term? Well, there are any of a variety of ways that we could drive our own species to extinction as we are already driving other species to extinction. The peer-reviewed literature indicates that vertebrates and mammals are going extinct faster than at any time with humans present on the earth, faster than ever before. We are vertebrate mammals. Yes. And you, you think we're going to avoid the fate that we're bringing to other vertebrate mammals? We rely upon habitat, too. We are human animals. We are not so separate from other vertebrate mammals that we don't need habitat. Mm. Of course we can live on the International Space Station. Of course we can live in nuclear submarines for a while. But think about where all the food comes from for those places. Think about where the water comes from. It comes from here, mm. from here Earth. And so to think that we are somehow separate from the living planet is classic human hubris. It's just folly at the grandest level. And I'm afraid that we have so convinced ourselves that our cleverness will get us through anything that we have taken ourselves beyond the point at which cleverness is going to work out for the good, mm. for the better. Okay. How do you suggest Americans in particular, but how do you suggest we live in the face of a pandemic, a mass extinction event, and abrupt, irreversible climate change? Most of us have known we were going to die as individual human animals. 
since we were 10 or 12 years old. Everybody who has seriously studied the issue knows that more than 99.9% of the species ever on Earth have already gone extinct. Mm. Several species of humans, including those in our own genus, the genus Homo, have already gone extinct. Of course, this version of humans, Homo sapiens, too will go extinct. Indeed, the conservative peer-reviewed literature indicates non-human vertebrates and non-human mammals are seriously threatened with extinction around the planet. To imagine that human vertebrate mammals will not join these other vertebrate mammals in going extinct indicates extreme hubris. So, of course, we hover on the brink because we are destroying habitat for ourselves. How could we not? Mm. And yet, if you believe the media reports that come out every single hour of every single day, you would think that we can survive anything just because we are incredibly clever. Well, at some point, of course we're going to go extinct. Only extreme human hubris would conclude that non-human vertebrates and non-human mammals can go extinct. But the, this particular version of human vertebrate mammals will not go extinct. How do we respond? For several years, I've proposed planetary hospice, and we can get into the details if you'd like, or even a sketchy overview. But the short version is that during our daily lives with family and friends, I recommend we treat everyone we encounter as we would treat our beloved ancient grandmother, mm -hmm. including respect and complete honesty. At the level of community, I suggest we work to get rid of racism, misogyny, poverty, and other community-level disparities. And at the level of society, I recommend we begin immediately the task of decommissioning nuclear power plants as a means of reducing harm to all life on Earth as humans exit the planetary stage. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask all of us to be involved in, and I think it's a worthy cause, regardless. Hmm. Well, how do you answer, and this actually, for the first time in my life, I mean, I know of this and people feel this in addition to your telling us these things, but... For the first time in my life, someone I've known for at least 40 years said to me, oh, you're so, what are you talking about climate change? Everybody knows it happens periodically, and it has happened many times in the history of the planet. Now, I know you have said that, and we understand, those of us who listen to you, but he was saying it as though that meant everything was going to be all right there was no big deal about this time around. I don't get that. I don't see the connecting uh, there. Well, what do you say to something? I mean, you must you must surely hear that. Oh, yes, yes. Not quite every day anymore, yeah. but we're there for a while. Yes, throughout planetary history, for the last few billion years, there have been profound changes in climate at the level of the globe. And they are triggered by something called the Milankovitch cycle, which is a little wobble in Earth's orbit. Mm. As a result of that little wobble in Earth's orbit, greenhouse gases are released from the ocean, oh. where basically we can think of the ocean as a battery that stores carbon dioxide and heat. and after that carbon dioxide is initially released, then it starts to heat up the globe in a very significant manner. Mm. And over the course of the next few tens of thousands of years, that heating continues to heat up the globe once the carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere. What's different this time is that we have put so much carbon dioxide in other greenhouse gases. There's more than 40 greenhouse gases that we know about so far. Mm. Once we put them into the atmosphere, that's analogous to the Milankovitch cycle a thousand years down the road after the greenhouse gases have been released. So what typically took tens to hundreds of thousands of years to warm the planet, we have managed to accomplish in 250 years. 
and, and now 270 years since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And we are heating the planet far faster than it has ever been heated in the past through, the, through this Milankovitch cycle and, quote, natural warming. So, yes, there have been these cycles. There have been warm periods, and then there have been ice ages. And in between, there has been very, very few periods of stability, mm. basically none. There was one that started a few thousand years ago coming out of the last ice age in which the temperature stabilized at a relatively cool temperature, only about one and a half degrees Celsius above that ice age, stabilized there. That was just right if you want to grow grains at a relatively large scale. Thus were born all over the globe at almost exactly the same time many civilizations if we define civilization as the ability to grow and lock up the food to grow grains and so that's what we did humans did that because as we already discussed technology tends to be a one-way street once people had access to grains they could get through the hard times they could get through the tough winters they could get through the arid summers and still manage to have enough food for themselves in storage that they could survive and make more people bam human population overshoot and we're over the edge now so this is not like those previous Milankovitch cycle times this is a much more dire situation triggered by us putting those greenhouse gases into the atmosphere Okay. I'm going to mention again and make certain we know how we can find out uh, more about you and your work, and that's at Guy, G-U-Y, McPherson, M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N dot com. And before we go, Guy, I wonder if you could, if people only had time to read one or two of your books, which one would you recommend uh, maybe this way. I don't want to limit in how you answer the question, but one for beginners who are just hearing this, maybe, and then another for people who are not in denial but want to get some kind of guidance, as I think you were alluding to when I asked a similar question earlier, and that is correct all our faults, our mistakes, our sins, if you will. Try to be better people with each other and as individuals as well as collectively and and live live the good life as in the sense of being a good Samaritan as opposed to grabbing everything that glitters. I hope that my question is clear in there. Mostly I want to hear about your books. Tell us <laughs> what, what do we should read. Thank you, guys. Sorry. I would say Going Dark would be the first best choice for people who, you know, almost everybody I encounter is aware of climate change generally, but not aware of abrupt climate change. And there's an enormous difference. And so I point out that difference in going dark and do so with a series of essays that bring in my personal life and how I respond, as well as the evidence about abrupt climate change. Now, a step further is my more recent book called Only Love Remains, Dancing at the Edge of Extinction, oh, and it yeah. gets into the sociological aspects, the personal aspect of how do we respond as individuals to this dire crisis that we are in right now. And so I think those two books would either provide a starting point so that people would be interested in studying the topic in more detail or would turn them off so much that they would never want to talk to you and me again. <laughs> well, I got that impression with my the last conversation I had with my dear friend. But I also, and first of all, we'll let you tell them again how they can find these books and you and more about you. And of course, Nature Bats Last well, my contact information, including my email address, is at guymcpherson.com, and that's the best way to get in touch with me if somebody wants to talk further than uh, back and forth by email, then we can share information about how to Zoom or how to Skype or how to talk on the phone or whatever. So that's the go-to place to find out about my work, to read my work, and to, to figure out how to contact me under the About tab guymcpherson.com. Okay. Thank you very much. I just wonder, 
when I asked you what's the lesson, the takeaway, yours was a very adroit, intellectual, educated answer. I'll tell you what my takeaway is from Texas, and then you tell us what we, what's the smart answer. But my takeaway is we just got a hint. When you talk about you, when you talk about abrupt climate change, Texas just gave us a hint because clearly the state government, at the very least, the local governments and the population of Texas, including their Senator Ted Cruz, were not prepared for something to happen seemingly overnight. Now, as you've explained, this is not an overnight thing, but we weren't ready, we weren't thinking about it, we weren't denying, whatever, whatever our, the reasons. We suddenly got, and forgive the pun, the shock of the cold, bitter truth in our faces in Texas. And that was how abrupt it could happen. And thank God, or whatever, being lucky as opposed to good, it was relatively brief. It's still going on, but it 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 was it is short in comparison. But is it not a little snapshot of some of what you are talking about when you say abrupt Absolutely. climate change? Absolutely, there's more to come. There's no doubt about it, and it happened in Texas, so we heard about it here in the United States. But similar kinds of things have been happening around the planet for the last seven years and and have been described by researchers such as Jennifer Francis for that period of time. So, yes, it, it came to the forefront with Texas because a lot of people were impacted. It was a a potential dire threat with respect to those nuclear power plants. There were a lot of people who lost power for an extended period of time, and the electric bills, the economic impact was huge, and so it got people's attention. Mm. But you and I know that this is not the last time. There's yeah. more to come, yeah. and we can prepare at least intellectually if we know what's going on in the world. Yes. All right, Guy, I think we're going to I think we'll end it there for today, but I am going to, I feel the need to have you on the show more often than I have in the past, and I know you know what I mean by that. We're going to need some kind of updates because this has just begun, really. Yes, I'm happy to join you anytime, Marcello. All right. Thank you so much. We've been talking today and learning today from Dr. Guy R. McPherson. And please find out more about Guy and his books and his videos and visit GuyMcPherson.com. Any parting words, Guy, for us before we go? Anything else we need to take away from this conversation? Well, just a thank you to you, Marcello, and I look forward to next time. All right. and, and, and again, you can find out anything about me. You can contact me at GuyMcPherson.com. So I look forward to continued conversations with you and others. Thank you so much, Guy. We appreciate you, and I'm glad, evidently, if people aren't bothering you on every day with things at parties and uh, personal gatherings, they must be beginning to see the light. What do you think? Yeah, so, yeah, the pandemic has opened a few eyes. There's no doubt about that. Yes. All right, then. That's it. Take care. We'll talk again soon, and all the best to everything, and especially family issues and all of that, okay? Thank you, and likewise to you, Marcello. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our time 
Times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. For all who ravenously tell the worst lie of all, the lie we tell ourselves. Favorably impressed by Senators Rand Paul and John Mason, cajoled by the opportunistic scallywags Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, hoodwinked by delinquents Devin Nunes and Trey Gowdy, then you are likely dangerously close to having your common sense sheared by the fork-tongued grandmaster of hypocrisy and deceit, whose every well-oiled syllable is calculated to cannibalize the citizenry's power of reason, while soiling the very mantle of statesmanship. Mitch McConnell when every Republican senator voted no to helping Americans while knowing the truth, the oft-touted superior USA education system, reliable infrastructure, and dependable power grids were myths long before COVID, but are now frigidly exposed by the corroded commitment of our chosen arrogance-filled human demitasses, led by a commander in moral bankruptcy, ranting tomfoolery sermons, waving the white supremacist flag of supreme violence when sore from losing, all while departing in the opposite direction of his directed target, anticipating celebrating in the safety of his Führer bunker among inner circle of self-deceived automatons. In lieu of the character to concede, the Putin pretender replays his ditty, the art of the deal dealing democracy decay by denying defenders under siege defenders. Proudly the vessels of fear programmed by the hateful venom of bushwhackers deteriorated democracy 20 January 2017 through 6 January 2021, contradicting the human value of workers essential to America's stability, while keeping their oath to prevent constitutional elections and medical health care personnel from keeping theirs, despite a global pandemic. These Republicans claim they're the party for small businesses, yet after forcing them to close and lose income to save lives from COVID variants, they are sacrificed within the conservative mantra of it's too expensive to care, believing our taxes are congressional private slush fund. Remaining unmasked in lockstep with their current favorite son, evidently believing one day, just like a miracle, it will just disappear, the GOP averts its eyes from a half a million Americans dying alone. In callous alignment with ex-presidential hoax, Senators Graham of South Carolina, Gates of Florida, Gosser of Arizona, Brooks of Alabama, and the winner of them all, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, wipe their ill-gotten gain on our Constitution, accepting no shame for themselves. Such men dishonor their oath of office and country, for true patriots don't lie for traitors who incite scoundrels to beat Capitol Police or Asian Americans or attempt to hang a sitting vice president, or, believing black lives never mattered, protect those who randomly kill them. When conservative is now defined by our current Congress and red state legislatures attempting to limit our American privilege to vote, and further, by extremists invading our military and police forces, how in the wake of events between 3 November 2020 and 6 January 2021 are we to entrust our economy, our health care, and our children's climate change future with elected leaders unwilling to condemn violence against our constitutional law in the land of opportunity? 
Until we recapture our connective roots with a thriving middle class, we will not be able to scale the Rubicon separating militants believing in corporatism's financially rented might is right and patriotic self-sacrificing Samaritans working multiple shifts as essential first responders all across America, living with the trauma and potential of losing another grocery store clerk, bank teller, tutor, doctor, nurse, significant other, veteran, teacher, student, friend, grandparent, family member, or patient. Those, whether by acclamation, consenting silence, or glazed over by redundant media, who actively or passively stand back and stand by, while the malice aforethought of proud boys and girls, QAnon and Faustian oath-keepers, heap death upon Americans, are accessories sharing an enormous portion of the treasonous responsibility for the misinformation, economic desperation, and anti-democracy insurrection heaped upon the innocent, courageous, and patriotic souls who understand that, one, tear-gassing a peaceful Black Lives Matter protest for a Bible photo op is not grounds for sainthood. Two, it is neither patriotic nor is there any glory in using old glory to attack Capitol Police. Three, those who deem themselves superior to any other human being for reasons of color, gender, sex, religious beliefs, or income are paranoid. Four, all who commit violence proclaiming it is an act of loving God and country are simply traitors in spirit and fact to Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and America's Constitution, particularly its Bill of Rights and Fourteenth Amendment. So, let us now affirm we hold these truths to be self-evident. All of us are created equally deserving of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as long as we do not infringe on the constitutional rights of others through harassment, intimidation, or violent acts. Two, indeed the poor will always be with us, but... Our rising tide that rejects corporatism's greed and dishonest leaders will lift all our boats. And finally, each of us is blessed with talents which, once discovered and shared beyond family and self, will truly save the world from human destruction. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.